you this morning to open your Bibles with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Our focus this morning is, is going to be on verse 30, but I do want to read verses 28 through verse 30 just to kind of put a little more in context of this one verse that we'll focus on, especially in light of communion, in, in light of the Lord's Supper, which is why I chose just to focus on this verse all by itself. So John chapter 19, verses 28 to 30. God's unerrant and inspired word reads, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill Scriptures, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received wine, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Father, as we think about these words, as we think about the sadness in them, as we reflect upon what it means to, to die, what it means for you to die, Lord, those are certainly sad thoughts. And yet we know that it is within these solemn verses where our hope lies. And so I pray, Lord, that as we reflect upon uh, this verse, and uh, Lord, as I share some thoughts, Lord, that um, you would center my mind, center our hearts, and that we would only hear from you, only you, Lord. We only want to hear from you. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. It is finished. John closes this scene on the cross with the words I just said, and he, Jesus, bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Luke closes it a bit differently in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Luke says that Jesus crying out, the loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now these particular words, into your hands, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, are not unique to Jesus. They are actually words that have been recorded by David in Psalm chapter 31. And I want to make mention of them. You can turn to the Bibles if you like. Chapter 31, verses 1 to 5. I will spend just a few moments there. In Psalm chapter 31, verses 1 to 5, David had this to say as he, as he wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit. He said that in you, Yahweh, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save. For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. You will put me out of the net, which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, Yahweh, God of truth. Three points I want to make 
reading these particular verses. And the first is in verse 1, where David acknowledges that in you, it is your righteousness. It is your rightness. It, it is you who knows right from wrong. It is in your righteousness, David here says, that you will deliver me. In verse 3, he reminds himself as he is recording this, that it is for your name's sake, for God's name's sake, for Yahweh's sake that David is asking this of God. Not for David's sake, but for God's sake. It is God's reputation on the line. Not David's. It's God's. It's all about God's reputation, about God's name. And then also in verse 5, where David says, you have ransomed me. You have bought me. You have paid for me. You have saved me. Where David acknowledges where his salvation comes from. It's a popular hymn that I was reminded of that we often sing. It was certainly a song, and I'm sure yours also. And that is simply this. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And the last Verse says this, and when before the throne I stand in Him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat, Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He has washed me white as snow. It's a beautiful song. It's beautiful words of a song that we know very well. Last week, I came across an article in the Christian Post. And in the article, it said this, a new study found that 60% of born-again Christians in America between the ages of 18 to 39 believe that Jesus isn't the only way to heaven and that Buddha and Muhammad are also valid paths to salvation. Newsflash. If this is you, you are not a born-again Christian. In fact, if this is you, you are not even Christian. Others may think you are. You may think you are. But the Word of God would differ. Anyone who would claim there's another way unto salvation would also obviously not hold to the inspiration, the inerrancy, and the authoritative Word of God. This position that they would hold would be counter to anything to do with Christianity. Jesus says in John 14.6 that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through Me. And so my question to you this morning is simply this. In whom or what do you place your trust? In whom do you place your trust? In what do you place your trust? 
as a lay person and as a chaplain, as a pastor, I've heard this particular statement way too many times. It's a statement that is made to somebody that's struggling with an illness. We'll pick on cancer. It's a likely culprit. The statement is that if you just have enough faith, you can be healed. If you just have enough faith, you can be healed. Cannot think of anything more hurtful, anything more hateful, anything more harmful. than to make that kind of statement. And if you just have enough faith, you can be healed. Basically, what is being conveyed to the sick person, Don, it's your fault. It is your fault you're not healed. It is your fault you have cancer because of your lack of faith. That person has faith in their faith, not faith in their God. And so I'm going to ask the question to you this morning, in whom or in what do you place your faith? In your faith or in your God? As awful as that first statement is, There's a second similar statement that I often hear. It's made by many and believed by many. And that is this. Not if, but when you sin, you are no longer saved. But you have lost your salvation. I have been going through the Gospel John very carefully this past two and a half years. And so today I want to become a bit more pointed, especially as we come before communion. And so I want to just take a step back because I know that this can also be a divisive belief. And so I want to first acknowledge that as a Christian, in heaven will be full of people who are on either either side of that belief. There will be people in heaven who think that there is a possibility that you can lose your salvation. And there will be people in heaven who will hold to the view that I do that you cannot, a truly saved person cannot lose their salvation. Both views will be in heaven. And so we're not dividing as brothers and sisters. It's not my point this morning. I have a point that I want to make this morning and really where my heart is. But I want to lay that out there as we think about these final words of Jesus. It is finished. It is finished. So for you note takers, here you go. First, think about it. Second, think about who made the statement. Third, think about when this statement was made. 
And then fourth, think about to whom this statement is being made. And that's where we're going to go this morning. Though it'll be a bit off script, though it'll be a bit unorthodox maybe for and I will certainly bring in plenty of eisegesis as you will see and probably label it as, and, and that's fine. I really want to speak from the heart uh, this morning. And so first, I want to look at the statement. What is the statement that I'm referring to? I mean, obviously, it is finished. Teleo, it's just one word. It's not it is finished, but one singular word in Greek, as often much of the Greek language is. And so for, for interpreters, we gotta, we gotta bring this into the English. And of course, we, we, we can see that, uh, it is finished. Finished is obviously a word, a verb. It is an action, right? And what is this action? Who's this action opposed on? Well, there is no subject. Who's the subject of this sentence? That's what we have as believing Christians, as theologians. That's what we need to decide. There is no subject in these three words. The subject is it. Well, that's no subject. And yet we need to cover and find out. And that's what I want to do this morning. What is it that is finished? When Jesus says, it is finished, what is it? I also want you to notice, though, between it and finished, there is is. It is not will be. It is not shall be. It is is. So what is finished? Well, obviously, we can look at what's right before in the immediate context. The Passion Week is finished. Jesus' life on earth is finished. In verse 28, Jesus had said after this, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, same word, already all things have been complete, have been finished. So the things to fulfill the Scriptures have been finished. But what What has been finished? In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, I want to go back all the way back again to the birth of Jesus. And where the angel came and told Mary and told Joseph specifically that you are going to have a son from the Holy Spirit and you shall call His name Jesus. Why shall you call His name Jesus? For He will save His people from their sins. Now if we come forward into the Gospel of John where we have been spending our time, in John chapter 3, verse 17. Of course, we know John chapter 3, verse 16, but I want to go to John chapter 3, verse 17, where John said this, according to the words of Jesus, God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is why Jesus came into the world to save his people. From their sins. This is why the Father sent the Son in the world, not to judge the world immediately, specifically in this lifespan of Jesus upon this earth, but his people that the world might be saved through him. And so I want to offer you this morning, which you're probably there already, that the subject of the statement, it is finished, 
is salvation. That's what finished. It's redemption. It's ransom. It's payment. It's adoption. It's all these words that the biblical text uses to describe the Christian. To describe those that Jesus has, will, and in the future will continue to save. That's the statement. Now second, I want you to notice who made the statement. Well, obviously the statement is made by Jesus. There's nothing hard there. The statement is made by Jesus. After Jesus makes the statement, John says that Jesus bowed His head and gave up His Spirit. We have to spend a little bit of, or at least give a little bit of mention to that final statement that John has for us. I want you to notice that it says that He gave up. Now we must remember, this wasn't giving up in surrender as we would think of giving up. This was a voluntary act of Jesus. Jesus did this voluntarily. Jesus gave up His Spirit because it is finished. It is done. No one took it from Him. I want to go to John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, where Jesus had already said these very things. He said, For this reason the Father loves Me, because I lay down My life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority, Jesus says, to lay it down. And I have the authority to raise it up again. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus gave up His Spirit voluntarily. It was part of the plan. And I also want you to notice if we think about who made this statement, who is making this statement, who has made it, and there's so many places I could go, and I want to keep this, I did want to keep this brief, um, and I, I will do so. I, I just want to remind you of the I am statements. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. The I am comes from Exodus where, where God introduces Himself to Moses as I am. And, John, and Jesus says in John chapter 8, He said, unless you believe I am, not English, and puts key, of course, so we can understand it better, but it's just I am, you cannot be saved. Then you will know after I am raised up, then you will know that I am. And then in verse 58, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Who made this statement? The very Son of God, hanging upon the cross, shedding His blood, shedding, giving His life on behalf of those the Father has given Him. This is who is making and has made this statement. But third, one was the statement made Obviously, we'll just move right along. The statement was obviously made from the cross. I keep those thoughts to myself, I guess. But obviously, we can see they were made from the cross as Jesus hung upon the cross. And lastly, I want to get to my point to make my argument, if you will. And that is, to whom was this statement made? And this is where, if you've tuned me out, this is where I want you to tune me back in. To whom was this statement made? 
Well, directly to those around the cross, obviously. I mean, sometimes we think about this. It is finished. Why did Jesus even speak it out loud? Was it an accident? No, obviously. He did it on purpose and for a purpose. He wanted John to record this for us, but most specifically and directly specifically as he spoke those words is for those who were around the cross, which of the apostles only John was there to record them for us. So, of course, it was to them. And then also to all the Father in John chapter 17, verses 1 to 4. I will not read those. You can read them for yourself. I'll just remind you of, of those words as time is moving along. But, but, John, or but, but Jesus says, I have kept them in your name. All that you have given me, I have kept them in your name. That is who Jesus is speaking th- these words to. It is finished. Teleo. It is done. Teleos would be the we often are familiar with that word. It's just the end. But here it is. It is finished. It is complete. It is over. It is no more. It is finished. Does this imply that anything's left undone? It is finished. Does this imply that anything's left undone? Then why do some say you can unfinish what has been finished? It is finished. Now, many want to push back against the idea that you can unfinish what has been finished. Because they want to insist that the danger of a final fall from grace must not be taken lightly. (laughs) Obviously not. They want to have biblical warning and they want to say, well, biblical warnings have meaning only if the threat is real. Again, listen to the argument that is being made. Biblical warnings only have a threat. The warning is real and not hypothetical. See, when we hold to this idea that we can lose our salvation, that the truly saved Christian can lose their salvation, then again, we're putting our faith in our ability to hold on to our salvation, to be obedient, to follow the rules and the laws that God has set out throughout the whole biblical text, especially the Old Testament. We're going to hold to this idea. It becomes a it becomes a conditional salvation, a works based salvation if that is what we believe, if that is what we think. John Wesley, he claimed this about the doctrine of eternal security. He said that would lull Christians into a false sense of security. Meaning we'll become lazy. Okay. I don't think it's helping. It means that we'll become apathetic. Okay. I don't know that that's helping. But by sins of omission and commission, many want to say that Christians can make a shipwreck of their spiritual lives and fall away from Christ totally and finally. I want to say that final perseverance in faith rests with the believer and is dependent upon your willingness and my willingness 
and by my actions. This view lays a burden on Christians, lays a burden on the struggling saints to produce a character, to produce something of a work's acceptance before a holy and a righteous God. Why? Why do, why do we want to teach and believe that? It is finished. Why do we not want to believe and teach eternal security of the believer? I believe many times the starting point is incorrect. Because as I am challenged, and I probably will really be challenged now, um, many of you are probably suspicious, but you know, if I'm, as I'm challenged from that from time to time, people make the arguments that I gave you. Well, then Christians can just do whatever they want. Well, then they can do whatever they want. Well, why do we start with they? Is that really what we're supposed to? Maybe we should start with I. Are we saying that if we believe that, because I have been doing everything right, that I have been this good little Christian, and all of a sudden, wait a minute, did I really have to be this good little Christian? See, see, maybe what we're really focused on is me. Where we should be focused upon is me, is I. Maybe the fear is not so much that they will do whatever they want, but I may do whatever I want. See, John 6.39, Jesus said, this is the will of Him who sent me, that all that He given me, I lose nothing. I don't know what that means outside of that. What does that mean? The words of Paul to encourage the church in Philippi, which I'm hoping to do for you, says, I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you, many of you have memorized this verse, that He who began a good work in you will what? Bring it to completion the day of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? A.W. Tozer had this to say in the knowledge of the holy. That when we come to a right belief about God, there is a mighty burden and an obligation to God. Absolutely. He has this to say, and it's a lengthier quote, but he says it includes an instant and lifelong duty to love God with every power of mind and soul and to obey Him perfectly and to worship Him acceptably. And when a man's laboring conscience tells him he has done none of this. But from childhood been guilty of foul revolt against the majesty in the heavens, the inner presence of self-accusation may become too heavy to bear. The gospel can lift this destroying burden from the mind, give beauty for ashes, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. But unless, listen, but unless the weight of the burden is felt, the gospel can mean nothing to the man or woman. And until he sees or she sees a vision of God high and lifted up, 
there will be no woe and no burden. Low views of God destroy the gospel to all hold them. And what I am telling you this morning, if you have had an encounter with Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit dwells within your life and you have experienced the majesty on high, high and lifted up, you ain't going to have to worry about, well, maybe if I believe that, I will be fill in the blank. See, it starts with our view of God, right? And why do we want to lull people to sleep? By saying things that we often say so much. Instead of maybe asking the question, if that's really what we're worried about, then, then am I really saved? Maybe that'd be a better question to ask. That'll be for another Sunday. You know, I um, got a picture the other day. I think it was yesterday to be precise. Of little Adeline James. One month old. Now, I know I'm a bit biased. But none of y'all have a grandchild that looks as good as she does. <laughs> uh, this is just where I want to get a little more feely with you. Right? When little Adeline James was born, I had no idea the capacity that I had to love that greatly and deeply again. Ask my wife. I'm not that loving of a person. And yet there was something within me that I didn't even know was there. Now let's say little Adeline James and I are we're out Stay with me. We're out on this road. We're out walking. We're out hiking. We're going to hike the PC Trail together. And when we do that, we're going to come across some bridges. Adeline James looks at Grandpa. I'm going to jump off this bridge. Think I'm going to let her? Well, she's got the right to make her own decisions. You think I'm going to let her? Oh, what kind of grandpa wouldn't let her do what she wants to do? You think I'm going to let her? Or do you think that I'm going to hold on to her? I don't care what she calls me. I don't care how much she bites me. I don't care how much she kicks me. I don't care how much she hates me. I don't care. All the strength that I have is not going to let go of little Addie J. I guarantee you, and you know what I'm saying, how much more is your heavenly Father going to let you go? Because it's your right? Because you want to? What kind of father wouldn't let me choose? Gotta let go of the baggage of perfection. See, my whole desire and passion for you. I'm not questioning a person's salvation no matter which side of the aisle they're on. But my whole passion and desire for you is that you can live with this kind of assurance of your salvation and that it has nothing to do with doing that you know you can't perfect, be live perfectly. That you can live the victorious life of eternal security no matter 
Now, assuming you're a Christian, I get it. Let's put the butts in. Let's put them aside. We're making the assumption that you're truly saved. And yet you need to let go of that burden of perfection. Let go of the baggage of if I don't, God won't. And instead pick up. You can't. But God has. It's a newsflash. You can't. You can't live it perfectly. But God has. And that's what he said on the cross. It is finished. It is finished. As you come to communion this morning, I want those words to burn into your mind, onto your heart. That's what we're celebrating. That's what we're remembering this morning. It is finished. Father, I I thank you for these words from the cross. Father, sometimes it can become so complicated. And sometimes you have given me the great ability to overthink. And yet, Lord, it is really that simple. Father, some of us are floundering, struggling Christians more than others. And for those who have it all together, Lord, I leave you to them. But those who, those, Lord, who maybe have thoughts and questions that come into their mind that say, yeah, but look at this, look at that. Father, I pray that's the one, Lord. That's the one, Lord, that I just pray that you would burn these words onto that. It is finished. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.